0: As you know, the general program of my talks this year has been questioning. And questioning includes doubt. It includes also overcoming doubt and questioning in two ways. On the one hand, at times, by an act of faith. One could express it by saying, At times I have no answer to my question, but knowing God, however little I know Him, I can trust Him. And therefore, I will behave with certainty with confidence, until I have matured enough, grown sufficiently in spirit, in experience of life, in knowledge, to be able to understand what's to me, at times, is beyond understanding. And this is a normal process. It is true in all the fields of human knowledge. This is why and how we learn our normal human life, how we meet school and university, and how we meet the problems of life. But also in the case of our faith in God, it requires at times a heroic readiness to trust Him in spite of the fact that everything is against distrust. Such a statement may seem to be almost blasphemous, but at times indeed. Things which we see around us are so terrible, so terrifying, that we may say, How can God allow such a thing? What is His responsibility for them? Because to allow, in a certain sense, is tantamount to acquiesce, let them happen. And this is the point which I would like to raise tonight, perhaps very awkwardly, because I have been trying to understand and I have certainly not understood as much as I should. In a previous talk, I tried to show how we are challenged by the word of God and by the faith of the saints we are challenged we are questioned we have got earnestly to look into things and learn but there is one point which I would like to raise with you which is never raised, which is taken for granted, and which in a sense is the beginning of the problems. When we read the beginnings of Genesis, we read that God planted in the Garden of Eden two trees, the tree of the knowledge of God and the tree of knowledge by feeding on the one Adam and Eve were called to grow into an ever-increasing knowledge of God By communion, by eating of the other, they were advised not to. And that is the point at which temptation came to them, We are told in the first chapter of Genesis, that Satan came up to Eve and said to her, God commanded you not to touch the fruit of this tree, because if you do so, you will become like Him, knowing all things. At that point, we always read in the commentaries that Eve was tempted. And that was the beginning of the fall. I would like to attract your attention to one or two things. First of all, Eve at that moment was still sinless, pure, without fault. And the words addressed to her by the serpent could not be addressed to whatever evil there could be in her. It was addressed to her innocence, to her purity, to her candor. And she responded by trusting the servant. Not because she found the idea of breaking God's commandment attractive, but because she thought that here was one who was giving her good advice. Because God had commanded them In the act of creation to know him and to know all things the only thing is that to know all things there are two ways the one is such oneness with God such perfect communion with him that what is in his mind should become ours. It is a growth in communion with God from holiness to holiness. In the case of the temptation offered to Eve there was another element. It was A desire, indeed, to fulfil the command of God, but in a way that was simpler. Eat of this fruit, and you will know as God knows. Now, this eating of the fruit, of course, is an image, and. There are comments which are not habitually brought into the picture, in which we are told that eating of the fruit meant a sort of communing with. And the suggestion which was made to Eve at that moment was Identify with the world which is ambient, which surrounds you, and you will know it as God knows. What God has offered was commune with me, and you will share my knowledge in a sort of formal way we may say it is the same thing with a difference that to know things in God as God knows them by communing with him in mind and life was one thing discovering the things of God independently of him was another theme. And here we come upon a remarkable passage in the works of St. Irenaeus of Lyon, which came to my knowledge through an article written by Olivier Clément a certain number of years ago. Irenaeus of Lyon says... I'm sorry, one minute. Irene of Lyon says that there were two ways of acquiring the total knowledge which God wanted to impart on us. The one was total communion with Him, and the other, an ever deepening and increasing communion with the created world. In itself, there was no rejection of the will of God, but in fact, it meant a long, tortuous, difficult way of discovery. In God, all knowledge rested. By communion with Him, one was in a position to know all things as He knows them. Indeed, not immediately, but as we progress in this common life with Him. What was offered to Eve was to discover all things but by human endeavor. You may find what I say difficult to follow and I don't find it easy to express. But I will give you an example an image. We may know a person by communion in heart and mind with this person, a person whom we love deeply, whom we trust unreservedly, in whom we are deeply happy, and with whom we share our thoughts and his thoughts. This is a direct communion and a direct knowledge through communion. But on the other hand we can acquire a deep and true knowledge about a person through his works. I'm thinking at present by about icons and icon painters. Every icon painter expresses his knowledge of Christ, or the Mother of God, or the saints, or the angels, or the world, from within his experience. Certain of these icon painters were great in spirit. Certain of them were less. But one way or another, it was a vision which was given them, which they expressed in their painting. But it is not only the vision which we are confronted with it is a painter and a person you know that in ancient icon painting and indeed in modern icon painting we can very often say this is a work of theophan the greek this is a work of rubloff this is a work of Wyspiansky. This is a work of one or another of the icon painters. It is the same vision which is expressed by the experience, within the experience, of a given icon painter. And the idea which Irenaeus of Lyon tries to convey to us is that if we go deep with a pure heart, with an enlightened mind, into all things created, we gradually will discover the Creator Himself. Indeed, it is a roundabout way, it is a long way, it hasn't got the directness, the simplicity, the decisiveness of communing with the Creator Himself. And yet, it is a way that can lead us to the goal. But here, we must remember two aspects of the same problem when we struggle to commune with God, we are hampered by our sinfulness. And by sinfulness, I don't mean to say because we are so evil and so bad, because we are so imperfect. Imperfect as a result of the original loss of communion with God in our first parents. And so, when we look at God's creation, we do not see him as he truly is, because the image is blurred. There is a passage in St. Paul in which he says to us, that we see things as though through a darkened glass piece of glass it's translated times in a mirror, but I think the original text is clear instead of seeing directly or through a clear window we see through a pane of glass which is gray, soiled, confusing. And this applies both to our knowledge of God and of spiritual things and to the knowledge which we acquire of the ambient world. Now, there is an additional problem here We live in a world that belongs to the post-fall period. We do not know the world as it was created originally. We could not even imagine it. We can only know that God created all things perfect. and that the Spirit of God was breathing in all things, on all things, and bringing them to their fulfillment. We live in a world in which that is finished. Even in the Church, even in the saints, we can say, Daringly, perhaps arrogantly, we can say we carry the holy things in earthen vessels. There are moments when the holy things shine in a blinding way through a person, but otherwise, It is a twilight that reaches us. Think, for instance, of all the saints of whom we are aware. There are moments in their lives when suddenly the glory of God shone through them. I'm thinking at present, of course, Of Matavilov's vision of Saint Seraphim. When Matavilov asked Saint Seraphim what happens when the grace of God, the Spirit of God comes upon a man. And then, without a word, it happened. And Matavilov closed his eyes with his hand and Seraphim said to him, why do you do that? Because I am blinded by the resplendence of your face. At that moment, he says, said later, that the face of Seren Seraphim was a human face, his face, but, as it were, Shining through a blinding sunshine. He was blinded by the light of it. And Seraphim said to him, This is what happens when the Spirit of God touches us. But we do not see even the saints all the time in this glorious manner. When you read the lives of saints, you see the humanity, at times, a noble, a beautiful, a glorious humanity. At times, a frailty, so wonderfully frail, that the grace of God prevails, and it is God who acts, and not a person. So we must remember this when we think of or trying to understand the difference between the direct communion with God and communion with God through the vision of his works. But there is more to it. Father Bulgakov said once that the beginning of Genesis is not history. It was not an adequate description in historical terms of what happened before the fall. He says it is meta-history and by this he goes on to explain that the events spoken of indeed had taken place. But we have no language in a fallen world to express adequately what happened in the world before the fall. And so all the imagery of the beginning of Genesis is true in the sense that it conveys things but describes them not. This is why I believe that the idea expressed by Saint Irenaeus of Lyon is very important. It is one possibility, one of the possible understandings of this beginning but it is a creative one it is one that can fill us with hope habitually we are told that the serpent spoke to Eve and beguiled her into eating of the fruit of knowledge and that she found the fruit appetizing and ate of it and then having already through her act of distrust of God lost her wholeness she turns to Adam and offers him part of this fruit and he eats and falls And then God comes, as it were, to the rescue, there is a chance. He calls Adam, where are you? Because Adam had hidden. And Adam answers, the wife, have you eaten of the fruit? He said, yes. But it is the wife whom you gave me, who gave me to eat. And habitually, we see in it a new fall. A way in which Adam accuses God himself of being the cause of the fall. Not only did he plant this tree, not only did he allow a serpent to be in it. Not only did he allow Eve to be tempted, but he allowed her to tempt him and they fall they are fallen now together. I think we can see things differently. We can see that when God asked Adam his question Adam said it is a wife whom you gave me he recognized in him in her God's own gift and it is in togetherness that will continue to live their human destiny he does not turn in against God accusingly. He recognizes the greatest gift which God had given him, Eve. Eve which etymologically means life. And they both know are in a world that has been shattered by what? The disobedience or the candor the trustfulness of both Adam and Eve and they will continue in it but they do not turn away from God. I think there is a greater beauty in seeing things in the way in which I have presented them, which some of you may see as fantasies and some as untrue to comments which they have read. But the passage of St. irenaeus stands for in me as something of prime importance. And then things develop. To begin with, Adam was alone. Then Eve was brought into existence. And here, perhaps, I would like to say something which I have already mentioned. One always speaks of Eve being born made of a rib of Adam. I think in ancient languages, the idea of rib corresponded to the notion of the side. In old Slavonic, for instance, to sleep on one's ribs meant to lie down on one's side. And Eve was not made simply out of a small bone extracted from Adam. Eve was half of him. There are lovely commentaries on the idea of the rib. I remember a Hebrew commentary in which we are told, of course it was a rib because a rib is a part which is nearest to the heart but this is lovely but i think the idea that the total man the anthropos the chaleviac that was created first because the word adam means simply man in the sense of human being Divided in two and remained one. Because when Adam looked at Eve, who had become an independent part of him, as it were, he says, She is born of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she will be called, and in translations, It makes no sense, woman, because she was born of men. But in Hebrew, the word used is ish and isha. I am he, she is she. She is the feminine of the masculine, and I am the masculine of the feminine. And it is only after the fall they discovered one another as being two different persons. They discovered that they are naked, which they didn't know because one does not know one's own nakedness. Nakedness was discovered because they were no longer one. And so we live in a world in which we use images and words that do not apply adequately to the beginnings of the Old Testament. Because these beginnings should be expressed in words that do not exist anymore for us. We live in a world that is no longer that one. I'm afraid I will have to end my talk at this point. And if you have the courage and the patience to come next time, I have quite a lot more to say about these beginnings what is a puzzlement and what is a light and a joy and a wonder I would like to speak not only of Adam and Eve of men in the sense of Chalavec, Anthropos, and Eve in the sense of life, but also of Abel and Cain, and of their generation, and what happens in a context, in a manner which I think is not usual, and which I hope and I believe is not a lie, a fantasy of mine. Could we now keep silent and quiet for a short while? Then I will read prayers. And then I will ask you to come for a blessing if you want to but not to linger too much, because I haven't got much strength left.